Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. You can go beyond giving to impact. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. I'm Erlon Woods. I'm Nigel Poor. We're the hosts and creators of Ear Hustle from PRX's Radiotopia. Ear Hustle is a show about life inside prison, but it's not your typical prison podcast. In this next season, we've got stories about the objects people keep inside their prison cells. About residents in a women's prison who say they want to stay there. And the most beautiful prison garden. Erlon, I will never forget it. Ear Hustle. Stories about life on the inside, told by those who live it. Find Ear Hustle wherever you get your podcasts. From WAB in Atlanta, this is Closer Look. For Tuesday, October 18th, I'm Rose Scott. Coming up... We really were at war with Al-Qaeda uh, as soon as those planes hit the World Trade Center and the plane went down in Shanksville and... Pentagon was hit. Mm -hmm. And we knew at CIA that Al-Qaeda was planning some, you know, large-scale attack, but uh, unfortunately we weren't able to stop it in advance. We worked very hard to stop the follow-on attacks, and Al-Qaeda did have follow-on attack plans very much uh, um, pending. We dig into the Closer Look vault and revisit my conversation with former CIA director John Brennan. He stepped down from his role as head of the CIA the day Donald Trump was sworn in as president back on January 20th of 2017. Brennan tells all in his memoir, Undaunted, My Fight Against America's Enemies at Home and Abroad. That's coming up in just a moment. But first this. It was a busy first day at the polls for early voting yesterday. As we heard from some of you, it was easy, and others, like out in Riverdale, indicated a wait line of about 30 minutes. Now, speaking of voting, Georgia Governor Brian Kemp and challengers to his office, Democrat Stacey Abrams and Libertarian Shane Hazel all squared off in a debate last night. But the federal money that we're able to use right now and spend is because our state was open and we didn't have to use this federal money to backfill state revenues, which has put us in an incredible position uh, to move forward in our state. Mr. So, Kemp, so we're one blame, of several states that so have had these same this, exact we're going to move on it's the people's we're, money we're going to move on uh gentlemen and and miss abrams and if you missed any of that action it's all online and in related news kind of honorary sheriff's badges like the one georgia republican senate candidate herschel walker pulled out during a recent debate and interview have no law enforcement authority that's according to the georgia sheriff's association Terry Norris is the group's executive director. He told WABE the head of any Georgia law enforcement agency can hand out honorary badges. It has no specific law enforcement authority. In order to have an arrest authority in our state, you must first be uh, certified through our state Peace Officer Standards and Training Council and then hired by a law enforcement agency. Norris says the association recommends whenever an honorary badge is bestowed upon a person, it's made clear the token has no actual authority. Former President Barack Obama is planning a trip to Atlanta to campaign for Georgia's Democratic candidates ahead of Election Day. State Democrats say he will make an appearance in downtown Atlanta on October 28th. The exact location has yet to be announced. While here, Obama plans to push Georgians during the final week of early voting. As for the Republican side, it's still not clear if any big names like Donald Trump will make an appearance before November 8th. This is Closer Look. We're back in a moment. 
Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. If you love Atlanta, you can invest in the big picture. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. And you're listening to Closer Look from WABE in Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. As you know, early voting started yesterday. And you may recall I spoke with a professor to get his analysis of the only debate between incumbent Senator Raphael Warnock and Republican challenger Herschel Walker, as well as insight on whether or not debate performances actually influence a voter's choice. And all year long, Closer Look and WABE has been bringing you the latest political news and a whole lot more. It's our commitment to you, and it's why we rely on your support. And so you know, here we go. This fundraiser is important because it allows us to bring you all the programs you love, like Closer Look, City Lights, anything with H. Johnson, and also it's only possible because of your financial support. Now, you may think your gift won't make a difference, but it really will at wabe.org slash donate or the old-fashioned way, 678 Five five three ninety ninety, and I'm so honored and thrilled to be joined by our WAB contributor, friend, journalist, writer, extraordinaire, TV host, Gail O'Neill. Gail, good to see you again. You know, when you introduced me, I think that sounds like a really exciting woman. I'm like, she's talking about me. Hello, Rose. How are you? I am fine. How are you? I want to give you a turtle dove update. Please do. There have been lots of turtle doves, morning doves, whatever they are, they have been in and out of this nest on my patio. I, I think I'm running some dove Airbnb, but you know what? I love having them. They're beautiful to look at. And they just kind of tilt their head and look at me and I don't bother them. And we just have a nice, we all live in harmony. I'm so glad you bring up the turtle doves because I want to remind listeners that we are in the middle of the migratory season for birds. And if we can do little things like just turn off porch lights, turn off out, uh, outdoor lighting at night, turn down the lighting inside, we can help them stick to their migratory patterns and not get thrown off off track. You know, we lose one billion birds a year to window strikes alone. I have heard. I have heard. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So. so I didn't mean to go all down that. And I know people didn't think they were going to hear about migratory patterns and they probably didn't think they'd start their day hearing about. That's okay. W-A-B-E. But here we are. Gail O'Neill with the bird report. That's cool. With the bird report. Yes. <laughs> we're able to bring closer look to you because someone before you stopped for a moment and realized that W-A-B-E was important to them. That's what we're asking of you now. Simply stop and think about what W-A-B-E brings to your life, how it informs, educates, brings you up to speed, and keeps you up to date on Rose's turtle doves. You can make your gift if possible at wabe.org slash donate, or you can call at 678-553-9090. And as always, thank you. My name is Christopher Young. I live in Decatur, Georgia. Uh, I like Closer Look with Rose Scott. I'd like that um, it does exactly what it says it's going to do. It takes a closer look at the issues of the day 
um, I always leave a little bit more informed than I, I was when I came in. So I think Coastal Look does a great job in helping keeping me informed, especially since I spend a large portion of my day uh, in transit. Thank you so much, Christopher. I really appreciate it. We appreciate it. So listen, how about starting your membership with a sustaining gift of, say, $10 a month? That's $10, and it helps pay for every reason you listen to 90.1. Now, that's the shows you love, like Morning Edition and All Things Considered, and of course, Closer Look and City Lights and Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me and Snap Judgment. All of this is brought to you by you, your sustaining gift helps us to continue to amplify the voices of Atlanta long after this funding drive is over. And I really mean that. Now, the amount to give really is up to you. And I say, as always, do what you can. You know what you can afford. Plus, every month, every WABE monthly donor automatically receives a gift from us. How cool is that? The PBS streaming service, Passport, and I love it. We rely heavily on Atlanta for support, not on subsidies or state funding. If you hear that, it's not true. In fact, peep this. Nearly 90% of our funding comes from Metro Atlanta. That's listeners like y'all. Yep, I've been here now long enough I say y'all. Please give as generously as you can at wabe.org slash donate or call 678-553-9090. And as always, I say thank you. By the way, how about starting your membership with a sustaining gift of $10 a month? That $10 will help pay for every reason you listen to 90.1. That's the shows you love, like Morning Edition and Closer Look, that tell powerful, fact-filled stories every day. And your sustaining gifts helps us to continue to amplify the voices of Atlanta long after this funding drive is over. Please check this out. With your new gift to WABE, we'd like to say thanks with our new fall hoodie. It features the color NPR logo on the front and the WABE logo on the back. This stylish black 50-50 poly cotton blend comes in sizes from small to triple extra large. Facts matter, so stand in support of one of the most trusted news outlets in the country. With your monthly gift of $20 or a one-time gift of $240 at wabe.org slash donate. And with that monthly donation, you'll automatically receive an added gift, the PBS streaming service Passport. You can also donate over the phone at 678 553-9090. Thanks. That's 678-553-9090 or online at wabe.org slash donate. My name is Lisa Duncan and I live in Sandy Springs. I increased my monthly donation because I understand how expensive these programs are to produce. That it's not an easy thing and I appreciate the work that you do, and I appreciate the research that goes into it. If I get a raise, you get a raise. That's pretty much my formula. Wow, thank you so much, Lisa from Sandy Springs. We really appreciate it. I appreciate it. Lisa does have a great point. The programs you love, well, free to you. Yes, while free to you are not free to us. WABE does have to pay for them, and like most things we value, those prices do go up. We wish... They didn't, but they do. If you are already a sustainer, consider how much value you get from WABE, and you'll probably find that an additional dollar or two, while not much, can do so much for us when you increase your monthly gift by just that small amount. And you can do so. It's really easy. 
Just head to wabe.org slash donate or tell the operator you'd like to give a little more each month at 678-553-9090. And if you've been meaning to give, but for whatever reason haven't found the time, well, hey, what? How about now? It just takes a moment. wabe.org slash donate or with the call 678-553-9090. And as always, thank you. And there's more Closer Look in just a moment. And you're listening to Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. We're taking just a few minutes right now to let you in on a secret. You ready? Come closer. Okay, it's not a secret at all, but we do want to let you know just how important you are. Here in Atlanta, community support makes up about 90% of our funding To me, that is amazing and shows how important the station is to this community. And I know because I'm out in the community, you all tell me and I appreciate it. And I want to continue to come out to the community. Now, it only takes a few minutes at wabe.org slash donate where you can show how much you appreciate us. You can be a part of that 90 percent. You can become WABE's newest proud supporter and another supporter who's been a supporter for decades now, I think. Right. I'm joined by Gail O'Neill, author, writer, journalist, all of the above. I remember Gail when we first met. Do you really? Yes. You remember when I said, I love you, Rose. And you looked at me like, who is this crazy lady? And you gave me a big hug. That's how, no, but that's how your listeners feel about you. I know it must be weird to have strangers come at you like that. And of course, it's not appropriate now that we're in pandemic mode and we have to keep our distance. But, you know, you people, you you come into our homes, you're in our lives, you're in our ears, and we, you really are beloved to us. And I have to go back to Lisa's testimonial just now. When I get a raise, you get a raise. Lisa, thank you. I think that should be WABE's next T-shirt slogan. I think that is <laughs> fabulous. We're trying to stay on track in this fundraiser, and your gift really does matter. Think about why you tune into Closer Look at this time of day. Odds are you appreciate it because it's interesting, informative, or it simply adds to your day. And the simple fact is we wouldn't be able to bring it to you without listeners just like you. Your gift is welcome and necessary. It takes about three minutes online at wabe.org slash donate. Or if it's easier for you and you wouldn't mind speaking with a friendly voice, I love friendly voices on the phone, you can make a donation <laughs> over the phone at 678-553-9090. And Rose, all these years later, I still love you. <laughs> My name is Malka Shulman, and I live in Sandy Springs, Georgia. I absolutely love Rose Scott and Closer Looks because she asks such pointed questions. She brings topics to light that are happening in Atlanta that, you know, I think we all hear about, but we don't necessarily get to ask or get to know the the nitty gritty of it. She's super talented. She's a joy to listen to. I appreciate that. I really do. I I really do. You know, uh, Wow. A monthly donation to WABE really is the best way to support us. And there's one reason. You don't give it as a lump sum, but a little bit. 
consistently from month to month. And yes, you can change it at any time because we know things happen, so you got to change stuff. Also, for most listeners, $10 a month seems to be the most comfortable giving amount. I have no problem with that. Give what you can afford. Plus, every Check this out now. Plus, every WABE monthly donor automatically receives a gift from us, Gail. It's the PBS streaming service Passport. If you can't get enough of those British comedies, there you go. <laughs> and mysteries, there you go. And please note that we really do depend on the Atlanta community. We really do. About 90% of our funding comes from in and around Atlanta. That's listeners like you. Think about it this way. All the great, meaningful, and powerful stories you hear on WABE. Well, you know what? They are, we, we usually say sustain. I say, Gail, they're curated by you, by the listeners. So please become a new sustaining member online at WABE.org or the old-fashioned way, 678-553-9090. And as always, thank you so much. When you donate to WABE right now, you can get the WABE Amplifying Atlanta mug. It features the colorful, creative illustrations of Atlanta artist Fabian Williams with his take on the WABE Amplifying Atlanta slogan. It's yours with a one-time gift of $120 or a new monthly gift of $10 where you'll automatically receive an added gift, the PBS streaming service Passport. This fall especially, facts matter, and so does your support of WABE. Please take a moment to give at wabe.org slash donate or phone 678-553-9090. Thanks. So as you're weighing what exactly WABE means to you, it could be that you simply cannot commit to making a gift to WABE each month. And we understand. If making a one-time gift makes sense for you, we get it and we welcome it and we thank you for that. Any amount you decide to give will help us pay for the programs you value so much. Thank you for your gift. You can give at wabe.org slash donate, or as Rose said, a friendly old-fashioned call at 678-553-99. And we want to take the time to thank everyone who's helped make this hour such a success. So many names, can't get to them all. We simply could not do it without your financial support. Thank you, everyone. But now we need to hear from you. Yes, you over there in line getting those wonderful waffle fries. But now we need to hear from you. It only takes a couple of minutes to make your donation. So please do it right now while you're thinking about it. Click the donate button at WABE.org or call 678-553-9090. And as always, we appreciate it and we say thank you. And Closer Look continues from WABE in Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. Let's revisit some of our notable conversations. Today, it's former CIA Director John Brennan. And while he stepped down from his role as head of the CIA, the day Donald Trump was sworn in as president, that was back on January 20th of 2017. We talked about this and his new memoir, Undaunted, My Fight Against America's Enemies at Home and Abroad. And he opened up about that decision to step down and also reflected on his personal journey climbing the ladder from trainee to head of the CIA. When you take the reader back to that first meeting with President Donald Trump, did you know then, uh, Mr. Brennan, that the next four years were going to be something under his administration and whatever that something is? Well, yes, I I was very worried that um, the uh, Electoral College 
had uh, decided, determined that uh, Donald Trump would be the president of the United States. And I knew from having watched him for many years, uh, and he was a very uh, accomplished uh, entertainer with his uh, television show. Uh, and uh, unfortunately, I think he also did a, uh, acquire a degree of financial wealth based on some of his business ventures and business practices, which I think were, uh, many of them were unethical, unprincipled, but uh, so he was a, a known commodity, but I saw that he had none of the experience or the temperament or the understanding of domestic and international issues that really are required for someone to lead this country. So I was I was worried from the very beginning. I was hoping that Donald Trump was going to change his stripes and uh, become a much more um, serious uh, person mm-hmm. from the standpoint of um, using intelligence and uh, changing some of his ways because of the solemn responsibilities of the presidency. But now we have nearly four years of a track record where I think Donald Trump has continued to propagate uh, dishonesty, uh, lies, um, and misrepresenting the facts, uh, which is very, very unfortunate that that is coming out of somebody who is uh, the the resident in the Oval Office. The Trump versus the CIA battle began even before Mr. Trump was sworn in. He insulted the CIA for its initial briefing on Russia, and he said he didn't need the agency's daily presidential briefings. That, in the book, as you write, unheard of. For a president, it is, and first of all, it sends a a very very demoralizing signal to the women and men of CIA and the rest of the intelligence and law enforcement communities that he really doesn't care about the work and the sacrifices that they make on a daily basis. So frequently putting themselves at at great risk, um, but more fundamentally, it, it shows that Donald Trump is not going to use uh, the intelligence, the information, the expertise the experience uh, of uh, individuals, whether they be intelligence professionals or Mm -hmm. uh, FBI agents, or as we see most recently and quite tragically, medical doctors and scientists. Uh, Donald Trump believes that he knows more about everything than anyone else. And that is a very, very dangerous attitude for anybody who is in charge of a government uh, to have. Matter of fact, in that word dangerous, you know, I'm going to quote you here. You wrote after that first meeting with then President-elect Donald Trump and his own advisors and, and would-be appointees. You write, quote, more honestly, I left with a dark feeling that our country was entering what would be a very painful and dangerous chapter of its history. Now and well into coming to the end of his first term, what could be a first term, uh, Donald Trump has been dangerous to the democracy of this nation. Your lens? Yeah, yeah. I, I wish my my forecast was not as accurate, but I, I do believe those ominous feelings that I had when I left Trump Tower in early January 2017. I, I wish that they had never come to to be in terms of what the reality has been for nearly four years. But I think on the domestic front, uh, Donald Trump certainly has fueled divisions and polarization within this country. He continues to just disregard uh, norms and standards that I think are critically important for a a country such as ours that adheres to the rule of law. He also has sent, I think, very worrisome signals to our allies and partners around the globe 
that the United States that they knew and relied on basically for the last 75 years to be the leader of the free world and to be the spokesperson and, uh, and defender of human rights and liberties around the globe, that that's not the same United States now when you have a Donald Trump who keeps talking about America first, America first, and seems to almost disregard the, the interests of anyone who doesn't support him or like him, uh, either here in, in this country or around the globe. And so I, I do think that this has been a very unfortunate chapter of our history. I want to shift for a moment because on that day back in 2017, because that's the day also you buried your father. Uh, tell me a little bit about Owen Brennan. Uh, well, I think we are all products of our upbringing. And I was exceptionally fortunate to be the son of Owen and Dorothy Brennan, my parents that really tried to instill in me at a very early age uh, the difference between right and wrong and to give me a, a moral compass, a North Star that emphasized integrity and honesty as well as public service. Uh, Owen uh, Brennan, my father, was uh, an immigrant uh, from Ireland. He came to this country when he was 28 years old mm -hmm. and really impressed upon my brother, sister, and myself that uh, we need to give back to this wonderful country of ours and never take for granted that we are American citizens. You know, he came to this country. He, he tried to reach our shores in order to have a better life for himself and, and to uh, have a family. And so uh, I talk in that first chapter that uh, January 6th, uh, that day, was the day that I briefed Trump at Trump Tower, but also it was the day that I joined my family across the Hudson River in mm -hmm. New Jersey uh, at the wake of my father, who had passed away the earlier that week before um, and when he was uh, nearly 97 years old. Uh, so both my mother and father were really uh, critically important uh, individuals in my life and, and helped shape uh, who I am. In fact, you write in the Brennan household, faith, school, and sports had to be accompanied by some type of part-time job if movies, baseball cards, ice cream, and other childhood delights were to be had. Um, but also, I think something interesting that our, our listeners, and I don't want to give away too much, but John Brennan, you had considered entering the seminarian and you wanted to become Pope. <laughs> yes, Pope John something. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I went. I was brought up in a very uh, religious household, uh, Catholic faith, and I went to Catholic elementary school and high school. And throughout my elementary school years, I had always planned to become a priest. I thought that was the the best way to find an eternal reward in heaven. And when I was very young, I didn't want to just be a priest. I wanted to be the first American pope. Mm -hmm. And so uh, it was Pope John the Twenty Third at this time, and so I, maybe it was having a namesake in the Vatican that really encouraged me <laughs> along that path. And I was hoping that I was going to be able to use my middle name Owen, which is my father's name, mm -hmm. uh, to be uh, Pope Owen the First. <laughs> but <laughs> you know, once I reached high school, you know, I started to pursue other interests. The voice you hear is former CIA Director John Brennan, and we're talking about his new memoir, Undaunted. Mr. Brennan. I have to admit that my jaw dropped when I read that you saw job openings in the New York Times for the CIA. Yeah, this, the CIA <laughs> advertises in many different places. And back then, I was taking the bus over to New York City because I was a commuter student at Fordham University in the mm -hmm. Bronx, New York. And I saw this advertisement. I said, well, you know, what the heck? I'll send in what was then a very you know brief resume. Um, and uh, the CIA took a... a, a a gamble on me. Mm -hmm. And what I'm trying to do in this memoir by giving a little bit of my background and my youth is that, you know, I grew up as any other, you know, kid in 
New Jersey at the time. Uh, came from a modest household. Uh, didn't know what I was going to do uh, with my my life and my career. Uh, and I, uh, I I tried to take advantage of the opportunities that came my way. This country, this great country of ours, is a land of opportunity. And so again, I'm trying to encourage uh, younger Americans uh, to look at the opportunities that uh, might be in their future at, at CI or somewhere else. But uh, it, sometimes it just takes uh, seeing a, a job advertisement mm-hmm. or hearing about something and then going after that. And I've always encouraged young CI officers to you know, take advantage of those opportunities that come their way. And from that first day on the job back in 1980 and then the many decades that followed, But I want to fast forward to September 11th, 2001, and you write, quote, as soon as the second plane hit, I suspect that virtually everyone at the CIA immediately concluded that al-Qaeda was responsible. In the months leading up to the attack, there had been a steadily increased drumbeat of reporting about al-Qaeda's plans to carry out a major terrorist attack against the United States. But the crucial details about where and when the attack would take place were lacking. What were those days and weeks like after that, John Brennan? Yeah, we we really were at war with Al-Qaeda uh, as soon as those planes hit the World Trade Center and the plane went down in Shanksville and Pentagon was hit. Mm-hmm. And we knew at CIA that Al-Qaeda was planning some you know large-scale attack, but uh, unfortunately we weren't able to stop it in advance. But we worked very hard to stop the follow-on attacks, and Al-Qaeda did have follow-on attack plans very much uh, um, pending. Uh, they had a plan to carry out a series of uh, airplane attacks uh, similarly to what happened in 9-11 against the west coast of the United States. They were going to um, have them fly out of Southeast Asia. And because of some very, very good work by CIA, as well as our U.S. counterparts and foreign liaison partners, we were able to uncover those plans and stop them before they took place. But it was an all-hands-on-deck approach. There were a lot of things that were happening at that time. Uh, if if you recall, we had uh, challenges, uh, certainly here in the Washington, D.C. area, mm-hmm. with anthrax attacks, as well mm-hmm. as with the Washington sniper. And so we were wondering whether or not al-Qaeda was um, undertaking a multifaceted attack plan. Uh, and the CIA and FBI and others really worked very hard to protect uh, American citizens. And I think we were very successful because if you ask people back in September 11, 2001, if uh, there were going to be follow-on attacks, I think most people would have said yes. But uh, thankfully, here in the homeland at least, we were able to, to stop those attacks. You say more attacks would have occurred at the hands of al-Qaeda if not for the work of CIA officers around the world. Well, that's absolutely right. And that's why I think, going back to one of your other questions, I, I don't think that the average American has as full of an appreciation as they should about uh, the work of the CIA, uh, the accomplishments, much of it because of the required secrecy that goes along with intelligence work. But... Uh, you know, the CIA and FBI and NSA and others, they really do great, great things on behalf of the American public. And I guess that's why uh, my my temper sometimes gets the better of me when I lash out at Donald Trump, because he, he denigrates the work, the professionalism, the integrity of those officers. And uh, overwhelmingly, uh, they are true professionals and dedicated to the safety and security of all Americans. I want to hit on something that you talked about in terms of the secrecy of the work and then how sometimes that might 
be in direct conflict with your own morality as it relates to practices and policies of the CIA. I'm going now in terms of the scrutiny regarding the torture of prisoners. What do you make? What did you make of all that? And it still continues to to dog you to this day, depending on <laughs> yeah. whom you ask. At, at, at any moment, you are you grappling with this because of what you just obviously because what you just told me about how you were raised and with your your parents and what they instilled in you and, and the Christian values as well. I think throughout my career, I had to ask myself whether the things that I was asked to do, as well as what the CIA was doing, was consistent with my values and my ethics and principles. The CIA's detention interrogation program, they refer to, that some mm-hmm. people refer to as torture, this was a program that was duly authorized by the President of the United States, which all covert action that CIA carries out must be. It also was deemed lawful by the highest legal advisory body in the executive branch, which is the Office of Legal Counsel and Department of Justice. It was also briefed to the congressional committees of jurisdiction, the intelligence oversight committees, and the leadership of Congress. So it had all of the features and attributes of a legitimate lawful program that the CIA then was obligated to carry out. Now, again, we were in the midst of the aftermath of 9-11, mm-hmm. while the embers of the World Trade Centers were still burning and smoldering. Um, and so there was an effort on the part of the government to do everything possible to prevent a recurrence of that attack. And so looking back on it now, and even then, I had real reservations and, and objections to it. The, the use of you know, the enhanced interrogation techniques, the waterboarding and some other things. I was not in a chain of command. And uh, fortunately, I did not have to make some very difficult decisions. But the people who made the decisions to um, authorize and implement that program were really quite concerned that Al-Qaeda, uh, which was looking at various weapons of mass destruction, chemical, biological, and nuclear, mm-hmm. they really were concerned that the United States homeland was going to be devastated by even a more uh, horrific attack. And so, you know, I don't want to put my moral uh, calculus uh, against what others had to do or decide at that time, but I, I do not believe that the CIA in particular given that it had no history of having a detention program, no experience in terms of interrogations, it shouldn't have been put in that position. But CIA frequently is the 911 organization um, that if you don't have a good options in the military front or the diplomatic front, uh, uh, create a covert action program that the CIA will be able to implement fully consistent with the law. And uh, CIA saluted at the time and Although there were a lot of things that um, happened during that program that were not uh, allowable, according to the the four corners of what was approved, Mm -hmm. uh, for the most part, the CIA was carrying out uh, a program, again, that was uh, appropriately authorized uh, by the president and determined to be lawful by the Department of Justice. We've talked about Russia. We just spoke about al-Qaeda. Are those still among those threats to this nation to this day? through your lens, whether it be via interfering with the presidential election or actual attacks on American citizens here or abroad? Well, I think terrorism is still a uh, a key concern for U.S. intelligence and law enforcement officials. Uh, Al-Qaeda has been uh, significantly uh, denigrated as a result of the concerted effort over the last couple decades 
they still retain a, a capability, but you have other extremist organizations, uh, the ISIS group, mm-hmm. um, which uh, you know, was ravaged Iraq and Syria, as well as other offshoots and franchises. So we have to be concerned about terrorism. Russia will continue to be, I think, our principal global adversary. Vladimir Putin, you know, considers Russia to be a superpower. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, it's maybe a superpower from the standpoint of a nuclear arsenal, but it doesn't have the political or economic uh, influence and might of the United States. And therefore, he believes that anything he can do to hurt the United States and damage uh, Washington's uh, standing in the world and domestically, it redounds to the Moscow's benefit. He sees things in sort of zero-sum fashion. China is growing in capability, uh, certainly economically, militarily as well. And uh, we do need to um, address a number of the imbalances uh, in, for example, the trade relationship between Beijing and uh, the United States. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think we have to do it in a in a smart fashion. Uh, we have to recognize that China is going to be and will remain to be a major global player. So I think we just need to have a a thoughtful uh, approach to these challenges around the world, not seek out competition, but to recognize that we can, when we need to compete, we will, when we we can cooperate, we should, Uh, but we need to do it in concert with a lot of our partners and allies around the globe who have similar um, ideals and uh, democratic uh, foundations as, as we do. The very first line in Undaunted is this, quote, this is a memoir that I never expected to write, close quote. So, John Brennan, why'd you write it? Well, uh, two principal reasons. One, uh, again, is to, to give Americans a, a sense of uh, what the intelligence and national security life is like. And, and by doing so, I'm hoping to encourage more Americans to consider it as a profession and a career, because it is a noble one and one that is essential to this country's security and prosperity. Second reason is that uh, throughout the course of my 33 plus years in government, uh, I have had to deal with a lot of mischaracterizations uh, of uh, CIA's record, uh, misrepresentations of uh, what I did, uh, why I did certain things, and just factual inaccuracies that uh, sometimes are put out purposely and sometimes are put out unintentionally. And so this is my opportunity to try to set the record straight from my perspective, I probably am not going to convince you know a lot of my detractors mm-hmm. uh, about the worthiness of some of the things that I engaged in, but um, I also am speaking out against what I think is the abuse of authority on the part of uh, some members of uh, political parties. Um, I-, I can understand partisanship. Uh, clearly, uh, the two principal political parties in the United States have different agendas and approaches. And that's fine. But when individuals resort to um, dishonesty and deceit and, again, misrepresentation of the facts, uh, I have a real problem with that because I think the American people, above all, deserve dishonesty from their public officials. And unfortunately, they don't get it as often as they should. So are you saying that Undaunted is really more for the American public as, as opposed to being, I don't know, cathartic for you? <laughs> well, maybe it hits a number of boxes. Uh, <laughs> but... Yeah, it, I wanted to make it readable. Uh, I wanted to give a sense of who I am. Uh, I didn't write it for, you know, the, all the academics and national security wonks. I'm hoping that they're going to be able to get, you know, a fair amount out of this book. Uh, but I wanted to, to write it for the average Americans so that they would, uh, again, have uh, an increased interest in looking at 
America's role in the world, uh, what the intelligence national security communities do to try to preserve and strengthen our national security interests and to make it an enjoyable reading, but also to, uh, at, at different times, to, to call out those that I think uh, fall short, including myself, when mm-hmm. I, I fell short of what I thought were my responsibilities and obligations. Uh, and to, uh, again, have it as a, a memoir that uh, captures uh, the course of, of my life and the, the great privilege I had to work in the government with some terrifically talented and patriotic people. And as a young man, you were labeled by a CIA official, a pretty strong introvert. <laughs> Looking back on that, and she says your responses also indicate that you do not seem to have the personal traits that lend themselves to meeting, developing, recruiting, and handling foreign assets. And you said she had me dead to rights. <laughs> yes. Um, I recognize that in order to recruit uh, foreign assets, sometimes you have to present yourself as somebody you're not uh, because you don't go up to somebody and say, hi, I'm a CIA you know, case officer and I want to recruit you to work on behalf of the, the U.S. government and commit treason against your country. So, you know, there, there were some aspects of it that I recognized that I did not have, I think, the natural inclination to do. And I, I was an introvert uh, when I was much younger. I still consider myself to be that. I tend to be outspoken when it comes to issues that you know strike at the heart of, of what I believe in and, and what I have done throughout my career. Uh, but you know, I wish I wasn't didn't have to be as outspoken. Now I was hoping to ride off into the retirement sunset and just you know. Spend oh, a, you know, more now time with John Brennan, nobody quietly. does that coming out of Washington. <laughs> you know that. Look, all these books been written. <laughs> well, I never, I certainly never thought that I'd be speaking out as, as stridently as I have mm-hmm. against a sitting uh, uh, incumbent in the Oval Office. Uh, because, uh, as I said, my book, Working for Six Presidents, uh, Three Republicans, Three Democrats, I had tremendous respect for all of them. And I didn't always agree with their policies, but they approached the job with great seriousness and recognizing that they had a solemn responsibility to to protect the American people. I don't see that in Donald Trump. I see somebody who is very self-centered, somebody who has a very personal agenda, and charts every move that he makes uh, according to what he believes is in his best personal and political interests. And to me, that is an abdication of moral and legal responsibility. And, and that's why I'm speaking out so strongly against him. It's called Undaunted, My Fight Against America's Enemies at Home and Abroad. John Brennan will be in conversation virtually, presented by the Atlanta History Center and Acapella Books tonight at 7 p.m. online. So for more, inv- for more information, Visit our friends over at AtlantaHistoryCenter.com. John Brennan, thank you for taking the time. Thank you for the conversation. Thank you so much, Rose. I really enjoyed it. And I appreciate you having read the book. It's clear that you have. (laughs) It's a lot of pages, John Brennan. (laughs) It's a lot of pages. (laughs) Yeah, and I had even more to write, but I had to cut back at some point. It's a lot of pages. We didn't even talk about you being an athlete. I wondered if you could play ball still. <laughs> well, as I point out in the book, I have a, a lot of prosthetic joints these days between I, hips and knees, and so I can no longer jump the way I used to. Well, I joined the club. I'm with you on that. Take care, sir. Take care. that base. You're listening to Closer Look here on 90.1 WABE from Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. So listen, check this out. 
Odds are that you listen to WABE because you rely on us for journalism based on facts. And of course, you just heard a wonderful interview that I did some years ago. And, and throughout this pledge drive, we're going to be bringing you some of our favorite interviews of the past. Now, during a fundraiser like this one, please know that we rely on you. We use your donation to pay for Closer Look, City Lights, All Things Considered, More in Addition, Marketplace, Marketplace Tech, all of the above. So please give at wabe.org slash donate or call 678-553-9090. And I'm joined by our regular WABE contributor, author, writer, journalist, the fabulous Gail O'Neill. Hello, Rose. I'm so pleased with the support that we're getting here at WABE, not just from our regular monthly, what we call sustaining, what Rose calls curating donors, but for those who are also giving during this fundraiser. And they're from all over Metro Atlanta, from Calhoun, Decatur, Loganville, Covington, Peachtree City. I could go on and on, but the main question is, what about you? Have you taken a moment to do something that you wanted to do but never found time for? Well, that's right. Why not take a moment right now to stop and give a gift at wabe.org slash donate or call 678-553-9090. Thank you. My name is Gabrielle and I am from East Point, Georgia. I feel like on television, on the news, it's a lot of noise and a lot of people just talking and not really saying anything. And on WABE, I feel like the conversations that are had are at a higher level. My favorite show to listen to on WABE is Closer Look. I really enjoy the topics that they discuss. But the things that I really appreciate is that they really go into really specific detail in the day-to-day, behind-the-scenes things that are happening in Atlanta that nobody else is talking about. And we appreciate that to our Atlanta and regional listeners and donors. You know, we could not be more grateful. And here's why. So just bear with me. I'll tell you why. The vast majority of our funding comes from the Atlanta community, this region. That's nearly 90 percent. The rest comes from grants and the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Very little, though. We receive no state funding. Say it again, we receive no state funding, so we rely on Metro Atlanta listeners like you for financial help. And also, your gift helps us as we seek to, here we go, amplify all the voices of Atlanta and the region. So consider a gift of $10 a month. But I always say, do what you can. That $10, it does seem to be the most comfortable level for most of our listeners. But you know what? As my granddaddy would say, do what you do for you. I think that's how he said it, something like that. Plus, every WABE monthly donor automatically receives a gift from us. It's the PBS streaming service Passport. You can give at 678-553-9090 or make your contributions online. WABE.org slash donate. And thank you so much. With your gift to WABE this fall, we'd like to send you one of the most iconic thank you gifts in all of public radio, the tote bag. This fall's canvas bag features the illustrations of Atlanta artist Fabian Williams and his colorful take on the WABE slogan, Amplifying Atlanta. This sturdy tote also features a zippered top and an interior pocket for other essentials. It's with a new gift of just $10 a month or a single gift of $120. When you give monthly, you'll automatically receive an added gift, the PBS streaming service Passport. Help support one of the most trusted news outlets in America because facts matter and your gift does too at wabe.org slash donate or phone 
1-800-553-9090. Thank you. WABE has been serving the Atlanta community for decades. We've been able to educate and inform on so many issues because listeners like you in the past have helped us out. This member drive is our way to get enough new donors to cover future costs. But that doesn't always happen because not everybody can join in. And so for that reason, I want those of you who can afford to give to consider giving an additional gift to WABE to help provide us with some added financial cover. Your added help will make a big difference at wabe.org donate or by calling 678-553-9090. Thank you. And we'd like to thank you, everyone who has given to WABE during this membership drive. I know it's day one, but we want to go ahead and say thank you. And as always, a big thanks to our loyal, sustaining members whom we've depended on so much these past few years. I can't say thank you enough. But what about you? You find value here, right? I know you do. Well, we'd like to thank you for your gift right now at wabe.org slash donate or with a call to 678-553-9090. And that's it for this edition of Closer Look. Our producers are LaShawn Hudson and Daniel Rezell and Pat St. Clair. Our engineer is Kevin Rinker. A reminder to let us know your thoughts on today's program or any other you know what to do. Send me an email, rose at wabe.org. And if you missed any of today's program, it's online, wabe.org slash Closer Look. And you can also listen to Closer Look weeknights at 7 p.m. as well as in our podcast. So subscribe to Closer Look wherever you like. Stay tuned to 90.1 WABE Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. The Gold Dome Scramble podcast is now plugged in, a WABE politics podcast. New name, same on-the-ground reporting from us, WABE politics reporters Sam Greenglass and Raul Bally. We'll cover local, state, and national politics as we talk to politicians and voters to break down each week's biggest headlines. New episodes drop on Fridays. Listen and subscribe at WABE.org or your favorite podcast platform. WABE.